Come on, give God some praise. Aren't, aren't you glad we serve a God who is alive? And many of you will have testimonies as a result of this time. I know we've been worshiping God, and some of you have been physically here at different times since Friday night, worshiping and praising nonstop. And we're still worshiping. We're still praising. And as the word is being preached right now, you need to be responding with amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Because God blesses us. He sends his word to do what? Heal us and to deliver us from all our oppression. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12 to verse 23. And we're going to look at a portion of scripture dealing with David and the moving of the ark uh, uh, from, from where it was to bring it into Jerusalem where it should have been. And you know the ark in the Old Testament is a symbol of the presence of the Lord among his people. Wherever the ark was, God's presence in a particular way was manifested among his people. It was a symbol of God's presence among his people and God's covenant with his people. Hallelujah. Now today, let me just say right now, we have a better covenant than they. Amen. David had to literally move the physical ark from where it was, from the house of Obed-Edom, to bring it to Jerusalem because David wanted the ark to be brought to where he was. How can I bring the ark to where I am, he said. He wanted God's presence to be where he was. And that should be the desire of every heart, right, of every mind, that we will live always in the presence. We will be conscious of the presence. We will draw from the presence. We will receive the benefits of the presence of God. We have it better because David had to go in order to get the ark and bring the ark. In the new covenant, we now have become the ark. My goodness, Paul says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. So we get to carry the presence home with us and bring the presence to church with us and carry the presence to work with us. Amen. Carry the presence in the hospital. Carry the presence in the prison. Carry the, no matter where you are, we get to carry the presence. But it's important that not that the presence is there, but that you attend to the presence. Because that's when you begin to draw from the presence. That's when you begin to experience the power and the benefits of God's presence is when you acknowledge the presence and then as a priest, as a worshiper, you minister, you attend through worship to the presence of God among us, with us, and in us. Are you ready for the word? Now, that sounded weak. Are you ready for the word? Yeah. All right, let's go to 2 Samuel 6, verse 12 to verse 23. Hallelujah. While we're going there, let me just uh, share a little story that I just I read not too long ago. Uh, in the 1900s, a little boy had heard so much about the circus and all the things that happened in the circus and how fun it was to be at the circus, and he longed to see a circus, and he heard that a circus was coming to town, so he talked to his father, asked his father if he could go. His father said, well, you can go as long as you 
do all your chores and complete all your work. And so the boy rose up early, did everything he needed to do, finish his chores, and then went to his dad to get the money in order to go to the circus. And his dad gave him the dollar bill that he needed to get in. And of course, all excited, he went to where the circus was. And there were a lot of people already gathered with his little small self he had to squeeze through. But he managed to see the, the, the animals, the caged animals, and those animals that were walking as they were walking down the street. He saw the, 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 the uh, band that was playing. He saw, you know, all of the different uh, things that take place and that people and that participate that, that make the circus so fun. He was able to see them as they passed by. And then finally, the clown came and of course for many children the clown is the highlight and he saw the clown and that's when he took his dollar and he gave his dollar to the, to the clown and before the clown could say anything to him he had left to go home. Now why did the little boy give his dollar to the, to the clown? It's because he thought that was the end of the circus. He thought it was over. The truth is that was just a parade. He mistook the, mean, the, the parade for the main event. He was satisfied with the parade, but what he really wanted to see was the circus. He mistook the parade for the circus. Many of us, we come to church like we do, and we sing songs like we did here. We clap hands like we do. We see and hear the musicians. We see and hear the choir. We maybe... We see the preacher, hopefully we hear the preacher. And we're satisfied and we go home. The truth is like that little boy, for many of us, what we experienced was just a parade. We didn't really experience the main thing. The thing you really come for is to experience and have an encounter with God. Are you hearing me? The main event is not just to sing the songs. It's not just to hear the sermon. It's not just to clap. We do those things, but that's the parade. The main purpose of all that we do, the reason we do all that we do, we praise, we sing, we clap, we dance, we preach, is so that you and us can experience God, that we can have an intimate encounter with God. Amen. It is his presence. It is him that we desire to experience. And if we're just satisfied with all of the outward things and we don't experience him in our worship or in our singing or in the word, we have missed the main event. This is what God said. He said, these people worship him with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. You see, if we are going to truly experience the presence, are you hearing me? And the power. And be truly transformed from glory to glory by the revelation of him in the midst of the church. Then we must not just bring our emotions to worship. We must bring our hearts. And we must bring our hearts seeking to know him, to hear him, to minister to him. Let's not just sing songs. 
Let's sing songs to him. Let's dance, but when we're dancing, let's be conscious that it is before him and for him that we dance. It is not just the music. It's not just the emotions. It's not just the feelings that we feel when we hear good music. No, we are dancing, we are worshiping, we're singing, we're clapping unto him. Hallelujah. All right, with that background, remember David now has or is bringing the Ark of the Covenant, a symbol of the presence of God among his people and the covenant of God with his people. He's bringing it from where it was in the house of Obed-Edom. He's bringing it down to Jerusalem to where it belongs, to where he, David, is. So let's read together. Now it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house. Let's read together. The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. How many of you know that when the presence of God is with you and you, now it's important, and you are attending to, ministering to, your mind and your heart is set on him. How many of you know there are all kinds of blessings? No, you didn't hear me. There are all types of blessings that flow into your life when not only do you have the presence, but you are aware of the presence and you're paying attention to the presence and you're worshiping and you're ministering to him. You have positioned yourself for all types of blessings, things that you don't even pray for will find you. Doors open and doors shut because sometimes the blessing is for the door to shut. Amen. Because if you went through that door that you want to go through, it's going to lead you into a place of despair and destruction and great harm. So say, God, thank you for the doors you open. And I thank you just as much for the doors you close. Because with my stupid self, I was about to marry that man. And my life would have been completely miserable the rest of my days. Thank you for closing the door. Thank you he saw somebody else that he liked more than me. <laughs> because you delivered me from him and vice versa. Men, some of those women who said no to you, that was God blessing you. <laughs> that was the presence of God protecting you. Say hallelujah. Anyway, that's not where I'm supposed to be going, but that's why I went. All right. So the Lord has blessed the house and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with what? Gladness, with joy, with rejoicing, with dancing, with singing, with celebration as we will see. Go on. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed. I want you to understand what's happening. He's taken the ark, the presence of God to where it belongs. And they're carrying the ark according to the instructions of the Lord because they had learned their lesson. You got to, you got to be respectful of God's presence. You, you have to have the right attitude towards the presence of God. There needs to be reverence when you're in the presence of God. God is holy. Amen. 
And, and, and so they learned they got to do it right. And here the Bible is saying, now this wasn't required. This wasn't required. God did not command this. God did not say this is how you do it. But this is how David decided he was going to do it. Amen. And so this is what they did. Every six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, they would stop and David would have them sacrifice an ox and a fatted sheep. One, two, three, four, five, six, they paused, another ox, another fatted sheep. And that was a constant thing they did, continually offering, giving offering, making sacrifices unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's move on. Then David danced before the Lord. David did what? He danced before the Lord with, with all his might. How did David dance before the Lord? Who was David? A king. Men will bow to him. He commanded tens of thousands of men in his army. He was the king of Israel. He was royally dressed. And the Bible says, as the ark was being moved, David was dancing. Not like this. But with everything he had. You know, my, my father, Bishop Leroy, who was, who's going to be the Lord, that was one thing he knew how to do. Even when he was way up in age, he would. And some of us would just be looking, but he knew something that we need to, that some of us may have forgotten. That when you worship the Lord, you ought to worship the Lord with all your might. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you got to jump and leap, but it does mean that when you're worshiping, you need to be putting everything into your worship, and you ought not to be restraining yourself because you are concerned about what people would think. That should, that should never be the reason you don't dance, what people would think. That should never be the reason you don't shout, what people would say. That should never be the reason you don't celebrate the goodness of God because you are thinking, you are assuming that somebody will look at you and think you are crazy, will look down upon you because dignified people, kings, royal people, educated people, wealthy people, successful people, don't behave that way. Hey! It, it may be that it's you just worship in a different way. You worship in Tesla, but don't let the opinions of men of what people will think affect the way you worship God. David worshiped with what? All his might. And that's the only way to worship God acceptably. When you are worshiping God, you got to give him your all. You, you don't worship God halfway. When we worship God, we got to worship God with what? All our might. This is what Paul said by the Holy Ghost in the New Testament. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present 
your bodies in what? Living sacrifice. He didn't say you present a portion of your life. You take your life and you compartmentalize. And he said, this is for my family. This is for my career. This is for my, my hobbies or whatever I enjoy doing. This is for my social life. Now, this part is for God. Two hours on Sunday. That's for God. Maybe one hour all, every day, which is good. That's for God. That's not all your might. You don't give God a part of you. Come on, we're talking about worship. Worship is more than a song. You don't, I don't, we don't give God a part of us and say, God, here's the portion you can have. We worship God with all our might and we give God our best and our all. So if you or I have compartmentalized our lives and kept some portion of our lives for ourselves, we need to learn from David that the only acceptable way to worship God is to worship him with everything we have. We got to put everything we got into our worship. We don't just present a portion of ourselves. Uh, we present our bodies, which means we put everything on the altar and say, God, with my whole life, with every part of my life, with my mind, my soul, my being, my talents, my time, my treasure, my gifts, my accomplishments, my weaknesses, and my so-called strengths, I give it all in worship to you. This is what we learn from David about worship. It's what, say, say to your neighbor, you got to worship God. With all of your might. Scripture says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy mind, with all of your strength. And Paul said we present our entire soul, spirit, and bodies to Christ. Too many of us are satisfied and we think, even with the portion we're giving to the Lord, we think the Lord ought to be grateful. So let's read. David was wearing what? A linen ephod. Now, the king should have been clothed with the, with, the, with the robe of royalty. Ordinarily, if you met David, David would look like a king, dressed differently from everybody else. You would know just from the way he dressed, this is not an ordinary man. This is a king. You would know from the way he dressed, you're supposed to bow down to him. You're supposed to speak to him in a certain way. You, but the Bible tells us when David was in the presence of God, David took off. David took off the robe. David laid aside the crowd because David knew he, while he may be your king and while he may be your, your commander in chief and while you may be honoring him when he's before God, he's nothing but a servant of God. David knew who God was and David knew he, David, was not he. David knew who the true king was, and David knew that he, David, was not the true king. When David the king came before the king, David knew that in the presence of this God, I am nothing but a servant. I am nothing but one who exists to worship him and to do his will. I have no authority over him. 
He has authority over me. I don't tell him what to do. He tells me what to do. He does not serve me. I serve him. He does not owe me anything. I owe him everything. It's just somebody here today who knows that the Lord is God. He's king and he sits on the throne and you and I owe him So David wore the linen effort. This was a procession. And all the people there were dressed ordinarily. And David said, when it comes to the Lord, we're all equal. We're all able to stand before him only because of his grace and his mercy. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. This points to David's humility. And to David's gratitude. You see, for David, it was about the Lord and not about him. And when David contemplated who God was and what God had done for him, David's heart was full of gratitude and David's attitude was one of humility. You see, that is something that David had that may cause God to say, this is a man after my own heart. Because David's heart was after God. David's heart was full of gratitude. David's heart was one of humility because he knew that he, David, had nothing that God had not given to him. You see, you want to be the goat, the greatest of all time. David said there's only one, I can't call him goat, but there's one greatest of all times. Don't compete with God. Give him all the glory. You didn't hear me. If we're going to be worshipers, true worshipers, if we're going to learn from David, we don't compete with God to be great. We're not seeking to be praised by men. We're not looking for the compliments and the, and the adulations that men can give to us. No, if we are going to learn from David, who perhaps is the greatest example of a worshiper in the Bible, we've got to understand that it's not about you lifting yourself up. It's about you being an instrument to lift him up and give him glory. For all that he is. Too many of us, our worship is malnourished compared to David's. And it's because we are the ones who want to be great. Instead of celebrating the one who is great. And so we end up competing with one another for glory. Worship is more than a song. It involves singing, but it has to be more than that. It has to involve the heart, and the heart must be right. And the heart that is right is a heart that is full of gratitude towards God, and a heart is humbled by the fact that he or she has nothing that he or she did not receive. Yesterday I was in Minnesota, 
And when, when I was being driven to the airport by our pastor, Pastor Mitch and his wife, we started talking. And the subject of a car came up and they started talking about the very old car they had. And what did, what did they call that car? PP something. Something, PP something. But it was a, one of those cars, he says, it, you had, when you're driving, you had to hold the door because it, well, he was now taking me to the airport and he was driving a nice car. And as he was telling his story, I remember our story. Because in 1990, I remember, Pastor Ned, you know the car. <laughs> Amen. But I remember going to the auction to get a car. I think we paid $900 for it. And that $900 came because one of our sisters, Eloise Sirleaf, remembered her pastor. <laughs> And sent me a check for one thousand. So we took that one thousand and we went to the to the to the um, auction. And we no, I think the car was seven hundred. We got this car for seven. It was a Ford Escort. You could smell it before you saw it. <laughs> but my goodness, it took us to where we needed to be. And I think Pastor Glennie has shared because when I when the Lord promoted us a little bit, we gave her that one. She drove, she wrote it for a while and then she passed it on to Suzette. So that car, that car, that car, you could smell it, but God kept it running, man. Say hallelujah. <laughs> now today, by the grace of God, I can ride a nicer car. Thank God for that. But wouldn't it be foolish of me to forget that the only reason I'm here is because God has been faithful and good and merciful. And nothing I have today, I received through myself and my own efforts. It, look, if it had not been for the Lord on my side. Hallelujah. So this is why David asks in the psalm, he said, what shall I render? What shall I, what? Render unto the Lord for his benefits towards me. He said, I'm going to take up the cup. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to worship him. David understood that everything he had become, ever, whoever he was, was because of the Lord's doing. And so the question he asked, again, this is a grateful man, not a man who feels entitled. You see, here's the problem. Many of us feel entitled because we think we deserve better. I've been serving God. God didn't do this for me. Why should I keep going to church? I've been serving God. God didn't do this to me. Why should I serve him? Why should I give more time? Hey, you feel entitled. And a person who feels entitled is a poor worshiper. If he or she worships, it's superficial. They're just going through the motion. To truly worship, you got to have a heart full of gratitude. To truly worship, you've got to understand who the Lord is and what the Lord has done for you. And you've got to be humble enough to admit, I didn't get here by myself. I could not have made it without the Lord. The only reason I'm where I am is because God was merciful to me. God was good to me. God was kind to me. God is the one who opened the door. God is the one who made this possible. And because of my gratitude, the question I ask myself every day, today, what should I render unto the Lord because of his benefits to me? May God deliver us from a sense of entitlement. 
Oh, may we realize we have nothing that we deserve. If we got what we deserve, you wouldn't even be alive. To be honest, if you and I got what we deserve based upon our attitude, our performance, or, listen, you won't be alive. I won't be alive. And the more you really understand that, the deeper your worship will be. The more genuine your worship will be. Are you listening to me? May God grant unto all of us a heart of gratitude. And that's the problem that arises in the story. I know you show me in that time, but I'm just starting, so please. We're celebrating our anniversary. Say hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Okay, so let's move on. Let's see what happens to the rest of the story. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with what? Shouting and with the sound. Listen to me. One of the ways you express your praise and worship is with music. It's with celebration. I mean, it's not a funeral. It's a celebration of God's goodness to us. And so part of the way they express their worship, and one of the things we learn from David is, you know what? When you come to praise the Lord, now it doesn't mean every time you come to praise him, you got to do that. There are different situations, different circumstances. But one of the things that should be a part of our regular expressions of worship is to praise the Lord and not quietly. You know what? Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet and talk to God. Prayer it's okay in the closet just between you and God. But real praise has to be public. Are you hearing me? Real praise should be loud enough, strong enough, that not only you and God knows, but the devil knows. Not only you and God knows, but your mother knows, your father knows, your brother knows, your sister knows. The people who work with you know. The people who like you know. The people who don't like you know. The people who are helping you know. The people who are trying to pull you down. When it comes time to praise the Lord, it ought to be something done in the open. It must be public. Hallelujah. Amen. Talk to God in prayer just between you and him. But make sure that you boast in the Lord and you do it publicly. That's why I got a problem with many of you who have testimonies, you won't share it. God blesses you and you keep it to yourself. How ungrateful. How ungrateful. God heals you and you don't want to tell anybody. God opens a door for you and you keep it to yourself. How will we praise God? How will we, the people, celebrate with you and give God glory if you don't share what the Lord is doing? Say, so let everything that has breath. Let everything that has breath. Praise. Listen to me. We're not dancing enough at this church. No, we're not celebrating enough. No, no, no. We have become too prim and proper. We are too well behaved. You know, we are too quiet. We're too silent. 
It's like we are ashamed of God. Say hallelujah. Go ahead and let's praise him. Let's glorify him. Let's give him praise. The Lord is worthy. The Lord is worthy. The Lord is worthy. The Lord is worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. Glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah, what now? Only the women, only the women, only the women know how to. Come on, you man. David was a man and he praised God. David was a man and he shouted. David was king and he rejoiced in the presence of God. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory. I praise you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I glorify you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Yeah. Come on, give us some music. Put something on the thing. Hallelujah. Glory. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, hey. Amen. Now listen to me. You may go back to your seats. But hear me. Listen to me. It's okay at harvest. No, you didn't, you didn't hear me. Tell the people around you, say it's okay at harvest to get excited about Jesus. To get excited about God. It's okay to praise him with all your might in this place. Hallelujah. Amen. And men, men, you and me, we got to lead the way. Quickly, well, let's go on because I want, I want to get to, go, go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal or Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling, dancing, and celebrating, shouting, and she despised him in her heart. Next verse. She did what? Despised him. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, those sacrifices again before the Lord. Go on, for the sake of time. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people. You know what? Notice when he blessed them. It was after they had worshipped. After they had offered the sacrifices of thanksgiving. Then David spoke a blessing. I believe that is spiritually significant. That God's blessings can be released in its greatest manifestations and forms when we have first really worshipped with all our might, with all our hearts. When we have worshipped him, then we are to speak the blessings 
that he has promised to those who worship in spirit and in truth. Quickly, we'll talk about that another time. Let's, 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 let's go to the next verse. I want to get to the verse. Now, after David had blessed the people, after worship, this is the next thing. He returned to bless his household. When you come here and you worship, when you go home, don't let the first words that come out of your mouth release curses. You, you go home, maybe your children didn't come, and the first thing you get, oh, you are. <laughs> or maybe the husband came, but the wife didn't come. <laughs> or the wife came, and the husband didn't come. No, you are missing an opportunity. Because what we learn here is when you have worshipped and experienced God's presence, when you have offered the sacrifices of praise, when you have given unto the Lord, my goodness, God is ready to honor the words that you speak. God is ready to release blessings upon you and upon your family and upon all those that you hold dear. And so when you come to a place of worship and you worship, man, when you get home, I just saw that. I haven't seen that before. I'm just seeing that. When I get home, I'm going to bless Sonny and bless, bless Rosie. I'm going to bless the food my wife has cooked. I'm joking, but more than that, I'm going to speak blessings. So when you get home, say, this house is blessed. My spouse is blessed. My children are blessed. There's peace in this house. There's joy in this home. There's life in this place. This house will experience nothing but the goodness of God. No weapon formed against us in this house will prosper. God's will shall be done by those who live in this house. Those who live in this house will serve God. They will trust God. They will do God's will. When they leave, they will be blessed. When they come out, they will be blessed. The angels of God are living here with us. Bless your household. Speak blessings after you have worshipped in spirit and in truth with all your might. Watch what you say. For your words will be empowered by the Spirit of God to cause things to happen in your life and in the life of others that you bless. But sadly, and we're going to, we're going to have to end, but sadly, look at the response of his wife. Earlier we said she despised him. What did she despise? The fact that he was worshiping to this degree. The fact that he was unashamedly worshiping God. You see, she was concerned about what men would think about her husband acting like a common, ordinary man. A king dancing like that with the common people. A king not clothed in his royal robes, wearing the, 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 the garments of a servant. She was concerned about her image and his image and how they look before people and what people would think. And let's be honest, guys. Some of us don't worship like we should because we are still concerned about how we would look to the people sitting around us especially us men. I'm including myself. 
especially us men who have gotten a little bit older with gray hair, no hair. Seriously, we become more conscious. I know we don't have the same energy like we had before, so some of that can be just the energy isn't there like before. But a lot of that is not the body, it's the mind. Man, I remember when I used to run and jump. I got to run and jump a little bit more. Maybe that's why you're not running and jumping. I'm not running and jumping. Forgive me, Lord. Because I guess I got to set the example. But literally, I, look, I'm saying that, but you're responsible for your own worship. So <laughs> don't sit there and say, yeah, Bishop Johnson, it's your fault. No, no, please. <laughs> I got to do what I got to do. I will answer to God, but you will answer to God for your own self. <laughs> but here's a woman who despised the fact that her husband was unashamedly committed to God, to worship God with all of his heart because of his gratitude to God for all that God had done for him and his revelation of who it was who had blessed him and made him what he was. And yes, the reality. The more we get sold out for the things of God, the more we are willing to do and to give ourselves to him, there will be those who will despise us and say things about us. And if we're concerned about what they say, about us, then we will pull back, we'll moderate our service to God, we'll moderate our commitment to the things of God, we'll moderate the sacrifices we make because we're more concerned about what we, people will say about us and the man's opinion rather than God's. David, a man after God's heart. This is one of the things that made him a man after God's heart. For David, it was about God. David was God-centered, Christ-centered. And what he wanted, what he pursued, what he desired more than anything else was the Lord. And when David got in trouble and he did do some things he had no business doing, David said, God, you can discipline me. God, you can do what you choose to, but one thing I'm asking you not to do. You can take my money, you can take my palace. You can take my career. In fact, you can even take my health. But one thing you should not do, God, please, I beg you, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. In other words, don't take your presence from me. The thing that David valued more than anything else in all the world was to know that he had the presence of God and he could go into the presence of God and he could experience the presence of God because David knew if he had nothing else, if he had the presence of God, it would be okay. Lord, don't take your presence from me. I cannot live. I cannot survive. You know what? To be honest, I don't know if you have gotten there, but I've gotten there in my life. The one thing I must and cannot do without 
is the knowledge of God's presence. And if I, God's, if I have God's presence and I know it, there's nothing I will be afraid of. There's nothing I need that I don't have. Because in him is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So you can take everything, but if I got his presence, I got fullness of joy. And think about it. Ultimately, what do you want in life? It's the fullness of joy you want. You think you will get the fullness of joy from things. You think you will get it from more money. You think you will get it from chasing after this and that and that thing. What you're looking for is the fullness of joy. And that fullness of joy is found in his presence. And so if you got his presence, people, you've got everything you need. Michael did not know that. She despised her husband. And then the Bible says concerning her, she, she, she ended up, go, go up a little bit. I think it may be the next verse or the verse after that. She ended up, anyway, at the end of verse 22 or 23, it says that she, she was barren. She was barren. Now, whether her barrenness was as a result of her, of her attitude towards God and God's presence, so that she did not profit and benefit from what God could do in her life. She needed a miracle. Because if she was, if, if everything was working properly, she would have, or could have gotten a miracle from the presence of God. But when she, when she, when she despised the presence of God, whatever needed to be fixed in her didn't get fixed. So often we cheat ourselves of miracles and blessings that we could experience because we don't adequately attend to God's presence and worship like David did. Amen? But here's another possibility. Here's another possibility why she ended up not having children. It's possible. Because the Bible says when David came home, he came home to bless his household. He came home to bless his wife. He might have spoken a blessing that day that would have caused her, whatever the problem was, to be solved. But David couldn't speak it because when he got home, he didn't meet a wife that was in agreement with him. Didn't meet a wife that was willing to, to, to embrace him and celebrate what God was doing in the man and what God was causing this man to be. She met a, man, a woman who was ready to criticize her, him. And how he came home thinking he was a conqueror. And when she got through describing him, he felt like nothing. It's possible that the reason she never had children was because she and David ceased to be intimate. Whatever happened that day did such a damage to their relationship that, that they, maybe she no longer wanted to be with him because she was so unhappy with him. Or he just lost interest in her because of the way she talked to him and the way she behaved. It's possible that the reason they had no children was because there was no more intimacy. And that could have been the seed that was planted that caused David to look at somebody else's wife. 
serious stuff. It doesn't justify him. So nobody should go back here and leave and say, Bishop said, because my wife and I are not getting the law, I'm free now to go find some woman that will honor me. You know, I got to be careful what I say because I assume certain things and I realize you can't assume anything these days. It doesn't justify you going out there. But I'm describing a possibility of why David was so susceptible to this temptation. Because the relationship with his wife had soured. Whatever the case was, I want you, I'm going to end here. I love the way David responded to her. David said, huh, you criticizing me for dancing. You criticizing me for celebrating. First of all, let me tell you, I did this unto the Lord. In other words, I wasn't doing this for you. No, no, I was dancing not for you. I was dancing not for your approval. In fact, when I was dancing, I didn't even have you on, your, on my mind. I was celebrating. I was praising. I was dancing. I was shouting. I was whirling. I took off my robes. I acted like a common servant. You know why? Because I was doing this for the Lord. I said, David said, this just in case you don't realize. Do you know how I got here? Do you know how I became king? Look at that. It was before the Lord who I chose me. I didn't get here because I chose myself. I didn't pick myself from behind the sheep and make myself king. It wasn't because of anything I could have done. The only reason I'm not king, the only reason I sit in this chair, the only reason I am who I am in this nation is because the Lord chose me instead of your father and instead of your father's children, God chose me and put me here. And I'm not about to forget who brought me here and why I'm here. So why, whether you like it or you don't like it, this time, I'm not doing it for you. This time is not about you. It's about my Lord and my God. Is there someone here who can say from the depths of their heart, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to celebrate God because God has been too good to me. If I had time, I could tell you stories about the goodness of the Lord. And then David said, you know what? You think I've humbled myself. You think I have made myself undignified. I like what you said. You haven't seen anything yet. Because what I intend to do is to sing more, worship more, celebrate more dance more this time if you, if you push me too far I may even take off the, 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 the thing amen because nothing is too good for the Lord but hear this because this is the key to worship gratitude you see nothing but gratitude not entitlement 
if your worship will involve your heart, there has to be gratitude, not entitlement. Secondly, you see the humility. What David is saying, I'm going to humble myself even more. I am going to humble myself even more. I took off my robe to humble myself, but I'm not finished humbling myself. She said, he said, all these, the wife said, all these women and all these people will talk ill of you. And what, what I think Spurgeon made this point. Spurgeon says, if they speak ill of you, don't get angry because the truth about you is even worse. You didn't hear me. You are not the greatest of all time. In fact, you didn't even come close to it. One day, this guy spat on David. And the people want to kill David. David said, no, please don't bother him because the Lord told him to do it. You get angry just because somebody, you say, they said this about me. If you really were humble, if you really were humble, you'll say, you know what? How can I get angry? You mean that's all she said? If she really knew me, the things she would have to say. That's humility. May God fill your heart and my heart with a real sense of gratitude. And may the Lord cause us not to seek to lift ourselves up, but continually to humble ourselves before him. Realizing that we have nothing from him or have nothing that we have not received from him. And instead of always trying to defend ourselves, may the Lord give us grace to humble ourselves. Because here is what the scripture declares. If you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he, God, will exalt you. Let the 40 hours of praise and worship become, oh God, a lifetime of unceasing worship to you. May our worship include the song, but be far more than the song. May our worship include the dance and the celebration, but be far more than the dance and the celebration. May our worship come from a heart that is earnestly seeking after God, a heart that is full of gratitude, a heart that is humble and always giving God the glory, and a heart that longs like David for God's presence. My heart longs for you, David said. My heart is longing for you. Like, like a deer that is panting for water, my heart is craving your presence. Raise your hand and begin to declare that unto the Lord right now. And you who are watching, wherever you are, go ahead and be praising the Lord right now. Listen, I'm going to ask, we're going to do a quick change. I'm going to ask the, 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 the young adults or the youth praise and worship team to come quickly. Come quickly, please. Oh, Roshakababa, come on the stage. Hallelujah. Come on the stage quickly. 
folks, go ahead. Let this be a time of prayer right now where you're actually praying and you're saying, God, that my heart, my heart longs for you. I crave for your presence. I crave to know you. I crave for greater intimacy with you, O God. Hallelujah. Go ahead. Talk to the Lord. Talk to him. Hallelujah. And they're coming. And I say, come, I want you to go ahead now and we're going to worship the Lord with our tithes and our offerings. And remember what you're doing. You are worshiping the Lord with your tithes and your offerings. You are stumbling yourself before God with your tithes and your offerings. You are, you are, you are saying to God with your tithes and your offerings, I have nothing that I did not receive and I'm grateful. All that you have, I have you have given unto me. And unto you, I bring back that which you first gave to me. Listen to me. Look at me. I know you all look at them getting on board here. But hear what I'm saying. This is a very important part. I told you, David, every six feet, they sacrificed. They offered. They gave an offering. They gave an offering. And one of the things that we learn from David's example, I'm losing you. Look at me. One of the things we learn from David's example is that worship, while being verbal, is more than being verbal. That we don't only offer our words in worship, we offer our lives sacrificially to God. We present to God our lives, and that means everything. Our time, our talent, our treasure. We present that to God as an act of worship. We don't just give what we can spare. We give sacrificially. We don't offer just one ox and one sheep. While that might be all that God requires, we offer every six feet. Because that's how grateful, that's how humble we are before God. Are you hearing me? And while you're preparing to give your regular tithes and offerings now, and you know how to do that, remember this month, throughout this month, and throughout September, we're going to be receiving a special missions offering that is going to support not this local church, but to support world missions, our educational mandate, schools that we're building, the university that we're building, elementary schools that we, we, we're, we're building, our social and, and humanitarian outreaches, the medical thing we do, the orphanages that we have around the world. Are you hearing me? Planting of churches. Your giving to the Harvest Fund, as we call it, this month and next month is going exclusively for that which is being done around the world. Nothing here. And in doing so, you are helping to support this gospel so that the whole world may hear about this God who has been so good to you. And we have challenged and we continue to challenge every woman, every royal lady that is part of Harvest, wherever you are around the world, to make a commitment to give at least $100 to the Harvest Fund. Those of us who can give more, please do. All the men were saying, men, let's lead by example. And let's believe God and give a sacrificial offering of at least $200. All of that not going here, but for missions, to plant churches, to save souls, to make disciples, to do schools, to do the clinic, all of those things. This month, throughout, we're going to extend it to the end of September. 
but everybody do your absolute best. I want to believe that every woman here who wants to do it can give $100. You probably could give more. But I don't know if there's any woman here who says, I'm going to do that, who cannot. And I don't know if there's any man here who, if they really made up their mind, couldn't give $200 to the Harvest Fund. But first of all, the decision has to be made. I will do it. As an act of my worship, I will do it. As an expression of my gratitude, I will do it. As a demonstration of my humility before God, I will do it. I'm going to worship God with all my might. You said, Bishop, what will I get in return? You know what? You're going to get much. But let's take that out of the picture. If in return you mean promotion, physical healing, some blessing you're praying for, no. Here is the blessing that you should be believing for. That as a result of your giving, souls will be saved. And when you get to heaven, God will say, or Jesus will say, you know what, you did this when you gave. And because you did this, here is your reward. This time, don't do it just for material things. Do it because of a real, real commitment to the heavenly vision. For the sake of souls who are perishing, do it in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for your people now as we give our tithes and our offerings as expressions of true worship, true gratitude, and as we sow into the harvest fund. Lord, we do it for your glory. We do it because we're grateful. We do it as an expression of our humility before you. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.